Welcome back to the Club Official Podcast. I'm your host, Patrick, and today we're going to talk about coffee. Now, coffee is very interesting. It's a beverage that, like many of you, I drink every single day, sometimes a bit too much. But the ironic thing is that I know nothing about coffee other than how I like to drink my cup. And that's why today we have Tony. He's the founder of Graziella Coffee Company, based in Brooklyn. They roast all kinds of specialty beans from all over the world. So, Tony, before we get into the deep end of things, why don't you tell me how you got into coffee? Whether it was a sporadic idea, a passion project, or something that your family had close ties to. It's, I think, a couple of those things. First of all, family business. My grandparents opened up a franchise location of a coffee and donut shop called Bessie and Donuts, which was started out in Rhode Island. Um, and they opened up a, a location in Northwest Connecticut and they worked around the clock. They lived across the street and raised my father and, and his four siblings across the street from the coffee shop and would basically work there 24 hours a day, taking shifts between one another. Um, baking donuts all night and serving coffee all day. Um, my grandmother passed away from lung cancer before I was born and never met her. And my grandfather had a stroke um, pretty early on in his life. So my dad and his brothers ended up taking over the business. So when I was born, um, I was kind of born into this coffee shop family running around the back, watching donuts get made, serving people coffee when I was a kid, thinking I was going to run the shop. Um, so coffee was kind of foundational to my childhood and and it was just a huge part of my life and then when I got to college cutting out a ton of his like family history and, and drama the coffee shops went from 13 locations all the way down to zero locations and my my family got out of the business and I had no intentions of going into coffee at all and then one of my best friends, who's from Trinidad, him and his brothers are from Trinidad. They they came here when they were young. They got into the chocolate business, and they make bean-to-bar chocolate even now in the South Bronx. He has a manufacturing space in the South Bronx, him and his two brothers make chocolate, and uh, they sell all over the city and all over the country. He came over in college, and when he found out that my family was in coffee, uh, we looked it up and he found out that the manufacturing process, the importing process, the growing process, the fact that it has to be grown near the equator, it was very similar to chocolate. And he said, you know, you have to look into coffee and go back to your roots. It's like, this is almost the same thing as chocolate. Check it out. You should get into it. And at that time, I was kind of like, whatever, you know, I'm not that interested. I've just gone through my whole life with coffee. I wanted to get away from it. And then it was kind of the circulating conversation for uh, for many years between me and him, my friend Dan. And uh, after a certain amount of time, I started to see a way that I could bring this business back to life, but in the way that I wanted to. Um, not in just like the mom and pop coffee shop where they weren't focused on the sourcing or the roasting or anything like that. If I did it, I want to do it in a way where I can have a connection to the to the farmers, to the people who are growing the coffee. I want to travel to Oregon and meet the people who are growing it, walk on the fields and walk on the coffee plantations and get a feel and understanding of where the coffee's coming from. Choose the coffees, roast them, 
create a brand around it, create some community around it and use coffee to make change. And that's the goal. And that's where it's at right now is to use the power of coffee to create community and to make change. Was the coffee heritage something that your parents brought with them or your grandparents brought when they immigrated? Because I know Andrew's parents also immigrated. So it's a bit of an Italian story there. So the grandparents that opened that franchise location were on my father's side. My mother's side were the Italian uh, grandparents. So what they brought into the picture, though, is a very important part of the of the story for me, is my father's side of the family brought in the coffee shop foundation and the coffee and the connection to coffee. My mother's side, they were farmers in southern Italy, and an appreciation for agriculture and farming came from them. So these two things kind of married each other where there's an appreciation for the power of coffee shops and community. And there's also an appreciation for agriculture and for sourcing and for farmers. Um, and those two things kind of married beautifully in, for me in, in on this journey. Actually, kind of just right off the bat, too, like my family was very similar, came from a farming family in Sicily. But like, I guess part of the emphasis, too, was kind of that idea of just hard work. Anything you did, you kind of had to go 100% at, um, which is kind of ironic, too, because I mean, what your I guess your slogan is about like not working too hard. So I know we kind of chatted a little bit earlier, too, about this before we started this podcast. But how do you find that balance between not working, not working too hard, but still kind of showing that growth and that you are making kind of headway in what you're trying to do? Yeah, I think that's a really important question and something that I I reflect on often and I have quite a few conversations about in my life. Um, Just to start the answer, I think it's important to kind of lay out where that phrase comes from. Don't work too hard. Who said that in my life? And, and it's, it's from my Italian grandmother who's who the company is named after Graziella. She Every time I left her house growing up, she always, always said to me, the last thing she said to me was don't work too hard. Um, and that's kind of something that I've carried with me. And I'm still trying to figure out exactly what it means to me. I don't have it written on the bag and I don't use it as a slogan in the way where I'm kind of saying that I have it figured out and I want to deliver this message to people. I think it's a message that it's a very simple in its delivery, but I think there's a lot of depth there. And I think it's something that people can chew on and it's something that I've been chewing on for a really long time. And in that, the conversations that I've been having and the reflections that I've been having with myself is along the lines of, in order for me to be fully present in the business and in the work, and in order for me to have the energy to do the hard work and to keep my head down when I need to be down. In order for me to do that, I also need to intentionally step away and recharge and refill my cup. So many people in that same kind of idea, like they either they either do their hobby part-time kind of after their main job, um, they do their regular nine to five and then they kind of do what they're passionate about. What kind of gave you like the drive and the guts to say, you know what, I'm gonna go all in and I'm gonna make this my nine to five every day. I know you still do some personal training on the side, but like this is really your baby and your main endeavor and source of income. So what kind of gave me the courage to just say, 
you know what, forget it. Like, I'm going to do it. I'm going to correct. Yeah. Like, this is it. All in. Yeah. For the, I have like kind of perfectionist tendencies. So I'm the type of person who will wait five years to make a leap or wait until the last moment to make a decision because I want to see how every, every single thing plays out before making a decision. Um, and this business was kind of one of those situations where I could have started it when I initially had the idea, like people who are less likely to be more perfectionisty or, or yeah, people who are less likely to be like me in that situation would have this idea be like, Oh, that's brilliant. Let me just try it. But it took me over six or seven years of just thinking about it, saying that's kind of crazy, coming back to it, thinking about it again, stepping away from it. This kind of like, after a certain period of time, after five, six, seven years, and and me continuing to come back to it, I kind of got to this place of like, if this keeps coming back to me, and it's something that I do want to try, if I don't try it now, I'm never going to try it. Could you have done it without college? I don't even know if I would have had the thought if I didn't go. It's like living in an alternate reality. I have no idea. I don't know if I ever would have thought about doing it. Because I know you said your friend kind of gave you the the idea to go back to your roots and try coffee. I don't know about you, Patrick, but like being that I'm still in college, like a big part of college is just not really like not what I learned in the classroom, but out of the classroom. Like a lot of the learning of like life skills and actual like real life learning from college is like with your friends. Um, just being out and about and kind of just how you decide to tackle different things. It depends. It, re- it really depends. Uh, I don't think, I think Andrew has the most, uh, I would say like solid degree out of us. Uh, I went for political science. You said you went for marketing. Andrew's doing a lo- something more focused on mathematics, something more complex where you kind of need that stepping stone. Just like with even, that, even that, I feel like unless you're going to college for like engineering or a doctor, I feel like you can get by without having a degree. I, I didn't want to go to college. When I went, I actually spent more time in the city than in class or on campus. Don't let your parents hear that. If you didn't want to go to college, what is it? What did you want to do? Well, that's the thing. You don't know what you want to do. You're 18 years old. Well, at least most yeah. people don't know what they want to do. I never understood how some kids that I grew up with knew exactly what they wanted to do, applied for that major, and then got a job in that field right away. I never understood that commitment. How how can you make that big of a life choice at 18? Yeah, I'm in the same boat as far as college goes. It's just so hard for me to say because the people that I met, the perspectives that I gained, I also went to a liberal arts. Even though I studied business, I was at a liberal arts school. I had to take two philosophy classes. I had to take two religion classes. I took Buddhism and Christianity. I took Hinduism. Um, I had to take history classes. I had to take English lit. Like, uh, I don't know. I, I don't know if I don't know if I would have had the perspective that I do now if I didn't go. Also, you made a ballsy decision opening up a coffee manufacturing business isn't something you just think of like i'm going to start an instagram page more so i have to actually either one take out a loan or invest 
pretty substantial capital for all this machinery for the location. Uh, put down yeah. money for the the beans. Like it's a I don't, I don't want to say do or die, but it's a risky risky decision, especially for someone in their twenties. Yeah, that's a fair point and one that I kind of block out of my memory. But I, you know, <laughs> I have sunk probably like fifteen, twenty thousand dollars of my own money into this thing. Um, luckily, I roast out of a collective space, so I didn't, I didn't need to buy a roaster. I don't need to pay rent on a space. I go in and rent the roaster for the time that I need it, and then I take the take all of my product home and I ship from home. Like my my home is my office, and I have all of my supplies here. But yeah, no, I I mean, like I said, I put at least fifteen thousand dollars of my own money into this thing, and um, I, I've I've made money from other work in my life to the point where I feel like. I have this deep feeling of if I need to make money and this ever doesn't work out, I can make, I can always make that money back, but I'll never get this time back. I'll never get this opportunity at this point in my life. You know, we're planning on having kids. We're planning on settling down. There's never, this moment only exists now. Like I can always figure out how to make more money. And I have the, going back to the conversation about hard work like i'm willing to do the work to make more money yeah it's like the uh, it's like the immigrant mentality it kind of I, I think making money doing nickel and dime things is kind of easy maybe because it's instinctual in that sense so it yeah. affords you the time to kind of chase that little curiosity that you might have in that sense yeah and this says speaking of that and that work ethic this working on growing this business has forced me to break so many old patterns and mindsets that I had going into it. Um, first and foremost, just being that idea of you always need to have your head down working. And while that works for manual labor and for the manual aspects of the business, if you're not stepping back and taking a a broader look at the at the industry or at your marketing or how your brand is being viewed or what your sales pitch is so many of these different aspects if you're not stepping back for a moment and that goes back to the balance portion of the conversation if you're not stepping back to take a look at where you're going and where you're at then you could just be spinning your wheels uh I guess that's the question too. Like, so let's talk a little bit about coffee too. Obviously it's a saturated, like a saturated industry where there's so many players. And I guess when you first started roasting, aside from your like family, that probably feels like that obligation to buy, like, let's not lie. How do you actually sell? How did you sell that first bag and actually kind of go out there and like that first sale? Like what is that process in that kind of space? Sure. So on the direct-to-consumer side, that was um, utilizing my personal Instagram page and my personal Facebook page and my like in-person network to announce that I was going to be selling coffee and to drive people toward my Instagram page. Um, so that drove some of the traffic initially in terms of direct-to-consumer. And then for wholesale accounts 
you know, I'm still in the learning process. I'm two years into this and I'm still getting my feet wet with understanding what is it that makes people want to take a chance with your product. Because yeah. like you said, there are 15, 20 other bags of coffee on the shelf um, all around the same price point. And I think that's, you know, if you had somebody who's in the business, maybe 20 years, 15, 20 years, they might give you a different answer. And I can only give you my answer from my experience so far, but it seems like that is the big question. Okay. Is what is, is like, what is it about your brand that makes it something that people not only want to buy, but become a part of? What is it that people are buying into? I compare it to going to a liquor store and looking at IPAs because they're all very small companies. Uh, you don't know what they taste like unless you spend the 20 bucks on a four pack or a six pack. The only way I judge an IPA is by the cover. That's really it. That's all you have to do. That's all you have. But it's also, I don't know. I think for me, it's the, like, I'll be honest. I never drank a cup of coffee in my life. Um, I usually have a cheeseburger before 9 a.m. on most weekdays. Like, I am not, like, more, like, I don't eat breakfast. I have, like, a cheeseburger by 9.30 a.m. and a Coke. Like, that is my morning ritual. Um, yeah. Dude, I, I wait, like, I wait for 10.30 a.m. to hit so McDonald's starts, like, making lunch. But on that same aspect, like, there's so many people that rely on Dunkin' and Starbucks, and they're just so programmed, okay, like, 7 a.m., let me hop in the drive-thru, grab my coffee, and go. How do you get those people to stop going and buying that? I don't even know how much a large coffee is, what, 140 at Dunkin'? Um, How do you get those Mm -hmm. people to give, like, the shot at doing it at home? I don't know if there's a straightforward answer to that question, and... You know, I have a, a question for your question, which is, is that even your target? Is that even my target audience? Is is my target market the people who are going to Dunkin'? And in most cases, it's not. Because people who are going to Dunkin' in most cases are not really looking for the type of coffee that I'm selling. This is your chance They're to publicly to shame them. them. Come on. Yeah. Shame them. Shame them for drinking. I you set me up for this. No, I will not shame people. I don't think there's any wrong way to drink a coffee. Um, Unless it's from Dunkin'. I don't care. If Starbucks. You, I don't care if you put cream and sugar in your coffee or if you drink it black. I don't care. Um, no, but um, yeah. This So that this brings me to another important thing, which I try to remind myself of constantly, is that my responsibility and the brand's responsibility is to not force people to drink our coffee, but to create a brand and to create a brand and a company and a movement that people can't help but to want to be a part of. I kind of noticed that with what you do within the community too. I know you kind of have like smaller events that kind of bring people together under the umbrella of health, coffee, and just overall well-being. So could you maybe just speak to a little bit about that? Sure. I, we did an event in June, which um, kind of jokingly named Coffee with Friends, um, episode one. And it's kind of a, a small scale example of the type of events I want to do next year and in the years following, maybe on a bigger scale or maybe 
on the same scale, but just more frequently. And the concept was pretty much the name, which is bringing together different communities and networks in my life that may otherwise not have crossed paths. Take what they do well and what their community is focused on and what they specialize in, bring that into the space. And then see what gets creative uh, created out of bringing these different perspectives into a space. So I have a friend who, a, a great friend of mine who did my packaging design. She's an oil painter. She's a Taiwanese-American oil painter. We put her oil paintings on the wall to have, an art, to have art in the space. And then I was able to get five artists from the city to custom paint skateboards. Uh, we hung those on the wall and we did a raffle to raise money for a charity organization called Chill Foundation. Chill Foundation was started by Jake Burton, the founder of Burton Snowboards. And Chill Foundation is to help underserved youth through the power of board sports. So helps kids from underserved communities get into surfing, skating, snowboarding, um, introduces them to those things. So we had five custom painted skateboards. We had uh, my friend Karina's oil paintings on the wall. And then my friend Dan, who makes bean to bar chocolate, he came and sampled some of his chocolates. And then our friends Ty and Kenny from this company called Rage and Release, which is like a, a running club that's rewriting the stigma around cannabis use. They came and brought in a, a monk to do a guided meditation in the morning. So there was a meditation and then a group run. So we created this kind of big all day event in which so many people in my life whose paths had never crossed met and and you know shared coffee and had conversations and we raised we raised six hundred dollars for chill foundation and had a beautiful day and it was an amazing event so i want to do more stuff like that no for sure i guess it's just the idea too of like circles of being like you have so many different circles that rarely overlap um, but given the opportunity yeah. to kind of share the same space, like some really awesome things can happen from it. Yeah, we all do, too. I think that's something that we all have in common, even if we don't think about it often, is just think about the places in your life where you have one friend who you hang out with because you have similar music interests, one friend who you hang out because you have sports interests, all these different interests where you think they exist in these separate spaces. But really, if you bring them together, in a new space, you can create something totally new and beautiful. Yeah, I just think it's interesting too that like people like there does seem to be this huge push for like younger generations wanting to go kind of smaller um, and local, but it's hard too because I feel mm. so so much of the time like people don't actually look that deep and like they don't realize some of these brands that they're still supporting these smaller brands are actually just part of larger conglomerates. So it's like, it's like, it's hard because it's like trying to convey that um, when we talk about like our brands or our brand, or you talk about your coffee company, um, it's hard because we're, we're competing against big dogs with not the same uh, war chest of materials to compete with. More than a couple, I feel like more than a couple though.
at home, you said, or you pick it up? Terrible. Got it. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's um it it really is that simple as as things grow and I have the capability to offer ground coffee to every single customer it could be as simple as ordering whatever ground coffee you need and whatever grind setting you need and then you open the bag up it's already grown grown for you and you put it in your little pour over setup and you make your coffee but you know i think i really want to circle back to this idea of me trying to convince people to make coffee at home or to convince people that my coffee is better or to convince people that they're not doing it the right way. And I, I don't really view that as what I'm trying to do. I, I'm more focused on creating something that's going to inspire people and, and want to engage with it themselves genuinely and authentically. And that may be, on the other end, how do you then convince someone who already uses coffees in this space to look at yours? Yeah. Yeah, I think that's a more definitely more relevant uh, question because that then it's more about if you're already using the product in this way, you already make pour over coffee at home, you buy whole ground, you buy whole bean coffee, you're buying light and medium roasts then I think this is where the the branding and the brand building and the brand management comes into play. This is where this is where started some of that marketing conversation comes into play. Is how do you how do you just shift people's attention or make enough noise so that they have to pay attention? Or, you know, we're trying to win over awareness in a in a world now where people's intake of information is so high, they're getting hit with so many pieces of advertising every single day. They're on social media scrolling all day. They've got stories and reels and they've got TikTok and they're on Facebook and every web page they're on has advertising. So, you know, the challenge is, I just started reading this book called This Is Not a T-Shirt by Bobby Hundreds. Are you familiar with the streetwear brand, The Hundreds? I've heard of it. I'm not deep into it. It's a streetwear brand. Um, yeah, pretty expensive pieces too. They are. He's a streetwear streetwear brand out of LA. Started in the early 2000s, and it's relevant. The reason why I bring it up to in this conversation is because the story is basically a, kind of a memoir reflection on him building this brand and the process of kind of separating the hundreds from 
all of the other fashion and streetwear brands, you know, around the around the country at that time. And and that's and and that's the conversation is how do you shift attention? Um and I think in in my in my mind and my goal is to the goal is to create community, is to create co- events and collaborations that people are genuinely excited about, and to bring in over like different communities and to increase the audience that way. Do you also think it's a long haul game? Me and Andrew talk about this a lot. How it's not a sprint; it's more of a marathon, multi-year type of thing. Like now, you're finally starting to see these streetwear brands come into prominence because the youth is really taking it on. You're seeing Supreme uh, is at this point fully mainstream uh, stussy is becoming more mainstream less uh, more people that don't skate by these things more urban wear yeah do i think it's a long haul game coffee for yeah. sure uh, your brand I mean, even yeah specifically your brand yeah unless you're a unicorn like shot in the dark viral sensation you just have an insanely unique story and you you kind of like quote unquote blow up overnight. I think it's got to be a long haul game. I think it's a I balance mean, too. It's it's hard work and luck. You need both. Um, because you, you you can have people that work their whole life super hard and they're just never gonna get that break and it sucks. Um, there needs to be. I think there needs to be an aspect of luck in it as well. Totally. Totally. It's it, though. I think to add on to that, if if you're not willing to play the long game and you're only in it to blow up overnight or to have a short-term success or to become that unicorn and and if that doesn't happen you're going to quit then i don't think coffee or any consumer packaged goods business is for you you can't you can't create a community overnight either and you can't really create a, an authentic brand with a real story overnight because it takes time and it takes time for people to trust your brand trust is probably the biggest thing that i think we've noticed matters over the last year like the building community obviously takes you know, a couple of years i would say it took us like three and then the further in you go the faster it grows it's just exponential growth at that point but the trust that we've seen other brands have and the engagement makes us wonder not what what are we doing wrong but what are we not doing or what didn't we do well what are you seeing that i'm just out of curiosity i'm I'm, what are you not seeing or not feeling that you you hope to feel one day with this we want to feel loved no kidding (laughs) (laughs) don't we don't we all don't we all no but i i i I think what patrick i I, he's going to correct me but it's just that idea too, like the, when the community engages with one another, they're not just engaging with the brand, like the conversation they're having is like everybody's involved and people feel confident talking to others within that circle because they're having similar experiences. And that's just when yeah. I think when the brand has such a connection and rapport with um, one another, but a big part of that is consistency. What what you're giving to one person has to be replicated to others. So they have that common connection. Um, I, for coffee, that might be, that's something I think that's really interesting because 
when you buy a bag, let's say, and it's the same flavor, like people want to, people want that consistency and to see it the same every time. But it's hard, especially when you're a small um, brewer, just because I'm sure as you know, like not everything happens exactly like you want ever. Do you talk to other brewers? Do you view them as like competitors or is it more of a friendly space? It can definitely be a coffee roasting can be a competitive environment. Um, Sabotage poor bleach in their uh, their rotation (laughs) before they go up. Heat their beans a little too much. (laughs) Yeah, burn them. No, there's like a, a community element to it where the roasters all get along and and talk to one another and share information. Um, I guess it's more the business side of it that can be a little bit more competitive. Though, I don't know. This is a this is a tough tough question. What's the flavor palette of your beans? Because one of my biggest complaints when I go to these small cafes in the city is all the coffee is sour at the end, and I hate that taste. <laughs> I despise that. You love dark roast coffee. I would love a coffee that is lighter, but more of like a mocha flavor. Because when I think of mocha, I think of um, either like the mocha drink with chocolate in it, or I think of mocha as like mocha espresso beans, which I think of like darker roasted. Or are you talking about something just a little bit more complex, like nutty, a little bolder? I'm a big fan of hot chocolate. Uh, a few marshmallows. <laughs> a few marshmallows on the top. <laughs> you can cut that and make that the intro. Where um, do you get your beans from? Like, how do you go through that whole process? I guess answering these two questions in one, like, what's the what's the palette or flavor profile, and where do I get the beans from? The beans can come from anywhere in the world. Like, I have no preference. Central, South America. There's a comfort co- coffee company called Devotion, for example. They only source their beans from Colombia. They only offer Colombian beans. Um, For me, I think that there's amazing coffee all over the world. Um, I've tried amazing coffees from 10 or 15 different countries. And I've had coffees on my menu from, I think, seven or eight different countries now. So, but the process looks like you get these little sample size bags from importers. Um, they're like 100 gram samples or 200 gram samples, and you you sample roast them, and then you go through a tasting process called cupping, which is when you brew like 10 grams of coffee with 170 grams of water, and you let it steep, kind of. You skim the coffee off the top, and then you slurp the coffee and taste it. And um, I have a tasting certification, so I went through like a six-day kind of boot camp where I became certified to taste specialty coffee and you're grading you're taking notes as you take as you taste this coffee to measure the level of acidity and body and aftertaste and the balance in the cup so what you what I'm looking for in a cup when I'm sampling it is you know acidity is not necessarily a bad thing when it is sour in the cup, like you're saying, that's not a good thing. So I'm looking for some sort of like pleasant acidity in the cup. I'm looking for 
some natural sweetness in the cup. I'm looking for something that's not super thin and like tea-like when I drink it in most coffees. So just like a, a checklist of like four or five things that I think make like a really pleasant cup of coffee that I try to find in, in the beans that I'm buying. Are there like certain, I guess, then certain flavors for a certain time of the year that you're kind of looking for at certain points? Like, I guess nobody really wants, I don't know, because again, I have never drank a cup of coffee in my life. Uh, so like, are people looking for peppermint in July versus, uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, pumpkin spice. Andrew wants a pumpkin spice latte. I think you'll get those weird people who, not weird. I think you'll get the, oh, just, 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 don't, just don't, yeah. start a war. Don't yeah. fall into that trap. <laughs> don't do that. I mean, you'll get the people who want those flavored coffees all throughout the year. But isn't that a challenge for you? Because you can't carry all those flavors, uh, nonstop. Especially not as a small roaster. And also, yeah. those flavored coffees are usually artificially flavored. And those are not natural flavor profiles that you're going to find in a coffee bean. So, and I don't, as of now, I don't really deal in, in flavoring coffees. Plus, I don't have a shop. So, I can't like brew an espresso or Americano and then pour peppermint uh, or caramel swirl in it. Like, I don't have that ability. How do they drink coffee in Italy? based where you guys grew up from is there a different way they drink it well he's in the middle of nowhere in the mountains yeah <laughs> up, up north <laughs> by austria thank you yeah no no he's not down south across from naples maybe i know where my family's from it's it's like coffee's part of the culture too like and you also pay different depending on how you consume it if you stand at the bar and get your espresso you pay a cheaper price than if you sit down and drink your espresso um mm. And a big part of the culture there, at least, is like, it's part of community. You go there, you quickly recharge. And there's people that go there two or three times, or if not more, a day, um, just to have that small conversation um, and enjoy it. At least for my, at least in my town, I don't know about yours. But it's an espresso. It's not like a regular. You are, you're, not seeing, you're not seeing coffee Americano where people are kind of guzzling uh, 24-ounce coffees. So it's a small screen, little cup. Sugar. Yeah. Yeah. The shots. They're, do, they're doing them as shots. For somebody that's never had coffee in their life, where do you start? Especially for somebody that spent, that I've never had coffee in my life. Where should I start for somebody that spends every waking moment around it? McDonald's breakfast. <laughs> <laughs> don't take, don't take that advice. Um, where would I start? Honestly? I'd take you to um, a coffee shop where they have a a really funky, fruity, natural coffee and get you a pour over and buy you like a $7 cup of coffee and just show you what, what a coffee can taste like and a, a cup of coffee that you'd never get at Dunkin' Donuts or Starbucks. Um, because there's such a spectrum of, of coffees out there. And I think if you were to experience a, a cup of, like a, a pour over, a naturally processed pour over from Ethiopia or, or Africa, I think you'd be kind of surprised that a cup of coffee can taste so fruity and, and so complex. That it would probably sense. be so far removed from what, what you'd expect in a cup of coffee. It's also too though, then it's like also the, uh the sad part that you can't really get that everywhere then 
when you're kind of out and about, like people are just so used to their consistency of going against Starbucks or Dunkin' because they know it's consistent everywhere. Um, versus, I guess, your local coffee shop, like you're getting kind of something artisan and a craft that's unique to that specific location that's not easily replicated everywhere you go. Yeah, I think that goes back to the conversation of like, why are you drinking the coffee in the first place? And the reason why I got into coffee and the reason why I'm so excited about doing this still is that I got into coffee because of all of the amazing conversations and and relationships that I've built over coffee, like how coffee is used as a tool to to build relationships and bring people together. And if you're just in and out grabbing that coffee, you're worried about spending the least amount of money as possible, that's a totally different perspective and experience on a cup of coffee than someone who's going in intentionally taking a moment out of their day, maybe sitting down with a book or journaling or 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 meeting someone for the first time or someone that they've known for 20 years, but they're deepening a relationship. You know, I had a cup of coffee with my mom in over the summer at a coffee shop that we went to. And we had one of the deepest conversations we've had in a long time. And it wasn't like the coffee's like beer and it like got us drunk and limited our inhibitions. And we just like talked about stuff that we never usually talk about. It's just like coffee has this ability to, to build bonds between people and to start conversations. No, for um, sure. I guess too, then if somebody wants your coffee, where do they go to get it? Sure. Shameless plug. If they go to graciellacoffee.com or they go to my Instagram uh, at Graciella Coffee Co at G. Uh, sorry, that's my email. Don't send me an email. Go to Graciella Coffee Co at, on Instagram. Okay, not everyone's Italian, so maybe you just want to spell the name Graziella too. Yeah, G R A Z I E L L A. That's G R A Z I E L L A. Beautiful. Well, it's been a nice conversation tonight. Yeah, likewise. Thank you very much for having me on.